Hey everyone, this is T.R. Smith here. Welcome to another episode of Square Off. And I am joined by Shane Rogers, who is also the host of Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. And I wanted to touch on the electrical vehicle debate or EV debate. And I think this will be a, a prominent part of any sort of future climate change discussion as we get proposals from Biden and Congress. And the EV issue always kind of jumped out at me, not because EVs are bad per se, but I just wonder if it's a misallocation of resources where people who who may be rightfully concerned about climate change are devoting too much energy to the actual vehicle piece. So I, I do a piece here from the Wall Street Journal, the headline from a couple of days ago is EVs are the lowest climate priority. So I'll dive into a couple of segments from the article. This is by Holman Jenkins Jr. <clears throat> it says the average light vehicle racks up 11,500 miles a year and sits idle 96% of the time. The World Resources Institute says passenger vehicles account for seven and a half percent of all emissions, but this includes buses, taxis, etc. Rental cars average 31,000 miles. Other fleet vehicles average 23,000 miles or more. Heavy trucks get about 63,000 miles and basically makes the case that, you know, the average passenger car is not a major contributor. The article goes on here. The International Energy Agency in 2016 estimated that if 50% of all new cars were electric, petroleum use would continue to grow anyway because of trucks, aviation, and petrochemical industry, and we don't have major alternatives to oil products there, meaning if you fly or drive a big truck or certain other types of uses, there is no zero emission alternative. And I'll read just one or two more segments. I'll, I'll bring Shane in here to comment too. Uh, ExxonMobil estimated more recently that if all new cars were electric by 2025 and the world's entire fleet were electric by 2040, liquid fuel demand in 2040 would be the same as in 2013, basically because of the demand from all the other uses that we have for oil and gas. Um, and I'll read one, one more segment here. Few talk about it, but mining battery-related minerals generates emissions too. An electric car that's sitting in your garage, not displacing a significant amount of gasoline-powered transportation, but still sucking power out of a wall socket, can be a net emissions contributor when all is said and done. Um, and this, art, this article sort of touches on it, but you know, part of the challenge with, you know, we call these zero emission vehicles, but really they're still having a carbon impact because unless you're getting all your energy from solar, wind, or nuclear, um, you're still powering your car most likely through natural gas or coal or some other source that still produces carbon. So, so Shane, given all this, you know, I think the, the thesis among conservatives is EVs are not bad, but perhaps they're not worth the subsidies that we're throwing at them. So what's, what's your take on this? Do you feel like Democrats might be missing the boat on this by continuing to obsess about electric vehicles? Or do you think it's an important part of the climate change discussion? I think that we're on the right track. They're not a panacea. They're not a cure-all. They are a step in the right direction. And in fact, they might be a step backwards in the short term. They may actually, you know, we might be taking two steps back for a step forward when it comes to emissions. 
especially when you take into account all of the carbon and, and the emissions that are created from the production process for the batteries and everything and the, and the transportation, we all, but I think most people know that. Most people know that electric vehicles are not this cure-all for climate change, but they are a step in that direction because they're an investment in the future. The long-term benefits of having electric vehicles will outweigh the short-term sacrifices because electric vehicles are much more efficient. And yes, you're plugging them into a socket that may be getting its energy from fossil fuel technologies. And that's a t an entirely different segment of market that we need to address as well. We need to be moving forward with wind and solar and all the all the other options you know i'd like to see fusion <laughs> at some point in the future we need to be moving away from fossil fuels and the bottom line is that electric vehicles not only are they more efficient and undeniably the future when it comes to clean energy they are just better cars i don't know if you've ever been in one but it is not it's not disputable an electric motor is more efficient than a combustion engine they are quicker they have more torque the experience of driving one, they're quieter, they're smoother, they have f uh, fewer moving parts, so there are fewer potential failure points, they, they're going to break down less, and they're only getting better. Like, we've been working on combustion engines in mass production cars for over 100 years, and we have maxed out that technology. It is legacy technology at this point. Meanwhile, electric technology is already better than combustion engines and still in its infancy. It's only going to improve. Might be better, but also also more but also more expensive, right? I mean, I could say that my, you know, my Rolex is better than your, you know, hundred dollar Seiko, but that doesn't mean that <laughs> that I've solved anything. I just know that this more expensive technology is superior to this, you know, less expensive technology. Well, the Seiko isn't belching out fumes that are going to <laughs> be a problem in the future either. I mean, there are again, there are reasons that we are investing in this technology that are beyond just the fact that they're better, but they are undeniably better. And we should be on the cutting edge of this technology because electric vehicles are the future. They just are. Like I said, if you've driven in one, if you've experienced them, they make combustion technology feel so outdated and old and ridiculous. We know that this is the direction to go. So why wouldn't the government subsidize this? Why wouldn't we push industry in a direction that's going to put us at the vanguard, that's going to put us at the, at the tip of this spear when it comes to advancing technology? We want to be, we want America to be the pioneer in what we know is the future. Well, Shane, that was a that was a good that was a good summation. I feel like you should be like a lobbyist now for the <laughs> the EV car industry. I'm I love electrical vehicles. I mean, I have a hybrid right now, but I would love to have a Tesla. I'm not a fan of Elon Musk, but I love Tesla and I love at least <laughs> what he's doing. Um, and I I thank God for, that he's out there doing this. Well, what what, what kind of EV or or plug-in hybrid do you have? I have a Prius. Oh, a Prius. All right. Uh, well, this is this is a good segue to to say I, I have a confession to make. I also have a plug-in hybrid, um, and it's not because I love EVs or I think the technology is better. For me, it's a question of driving in LA traffic, and <laughs> the <laughs> the EV. If you buy the right kind of EV or a plug-in type vehicle, plug-in hybrid, you can use the carpool lane. So that's why I bought it. Uh, was that a factor for you at all, or you just thought it was a nice nice car to have? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, I, I really like, honestly, then this sounds silly, but the how quiet it is. And, I, you know, it does every once in a while, the, the, uh, the engine, the combustion engine kicks in. But for the most part, it's really quiet. It's really smooth. The experience of driving it to me is very relaxing when I have to sit in traffic. 
Um, and then, of course, yeah, fuel economy, just saving money. It's it's kind of a no-brainer for me. Now, obviously, the Prius, you give up. It's not a performance car. It's not a Tesla. <laughs> and I miss that to some extent. And mine has like a power mode that you can at least kick in the combustion engine and, and then they kind of work in tandem. Um, but... I would. I, I really do want to move into a pre. I I have a, or into a Tesla. I have some friends who have Teslas, and driving in them is a pretty revelatory experience. It's it's again, you're seeing the future. Now I will say. Now I, I don't mean to just be a contrarian, but I have driven in a couple of Teslas. I was not especially blown away by the fact that this is a whole whole different game changer. I, to me, it felt like you know that they, they actually handle quite a bit differently than other cars. So, so that takes some getting used to, and then. To me, it was still a car. I, I wasn't. I wasn't blown away that this was, you know, uh, a, a total paradigm shift in driving. And, and wow, for uh, me, it was. I mean, I, did you drive in like a Model S? I mean, they. Yeah, are the Model so S was the one faster. I drove. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. They are so much faster. They are so much smoother. They're so much quieter. Again, maybe for you, it, it wasn't a revelatory experience that it was for me. But <laughs> I, I would be surprised if you didn't see that. That combustion technology is a hundred years from now not going to be what we're using we're going to be using electric technology well, unless they come up with fusion engines or something we're moving on you know combustion technology was the next step after steam and the next step is going to be electric i think also just this is very anecdotal but i think if if you were to drive a comparably priced mercedes or bmw you might be thinking oh wow this thing handles amazing this is pretty quiet. This is a really excellent performing vehicle. So you got to be careful what what we're actually comparing in terms of you know what what this item costs versus how it performs. Uh, I think that you you again, I am not a car expert by any means, but I think if you were to sort of look at what's out there on the market at the at the same price point, you might say, oh yeah, there's some other really nice cars that you could drive that are <laughs> pretty comparable. Sure. As far as the driving experience, and I've driven some very high-end combustion cars, but again, there is simple physics here. There's mathematics. It is an it is an inefficient technology. You are losing through heat most of the energy that could be produced. So you're burning fossil fuels. You're creating you're creating uh, you're creating smog and pollution and, and CO2 emissions, and you're and and you're losing most of that energy. Whereas an electric car is just more efficient. Again, these this is just whether you even like maybe you drove an electric car and you hated it. You still have to acknowledge that that's the future, just based on physics. Like that is just a better technology. Well, but, but now going back to the article I just read, what it points out is that well, you want to talk about the future. Well, let's, for the moment, let's define the future as 20 or 30 years. The, the experts who study these things will tell you that even if we embrace EVs for passenger cars, the technology just isn't there for the trucks and the buses and, of course, the airplanes that, that we're also using. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that the combustion engine, and, and you, you can take that's out of it, but that you know we're still going to be using the combustion engine for some time to come and i wish elon musk all the best i hope his pickup truck is a big success i hope every i hope i hope we have these te technological breakthroughs that you can have more powerful trucks that are basically ev technology but i would say not there yet and the experts who look at this are saying you know hey we're going to be burning plenty of fossil fuels in our trucks for you know many years to come only because we're not investing adequately in electric technology well, that that is the whole point of no, this is i, I, I think I would, the government should be pushing not only incentivizing but 
absolutely putting you know fuel emission standards we need to be prodding the industry making them move in the right direction not only for the good of our economy and and the good of our our industry so that we are again at the vanguard of this but also because it's the right thing to do it's it's good for the economy it's good for industry and it's good for the future you know there is no reason that the government shouldn't be pushing this i mean we need to be in there and the, the government has a long history of creating and or forcing industries to create the next generation of technologies that we the government and the military created the internet they created gps technology they created nuclear power and the satellites that that help with gps technology right we have darpa we have nasa if you if you just google like how many how many how much of the technology that we use today was developed and or subsidized by the government it's amazing it's you'd be it's mind-blowing well we, no the, yeah we, we should, should not, I, go, go ahead Shane sorry well, that's it we, we we need to be doing this and we need I, I don't mind my taxpayer money going to <laughs> it's going to something that is going to benefit not only the world and the the environment but also American industry but the point, well, the one thing I would at least take issue with what you just said is you seem to be implying that like the technology is either here or is very close to here to like replace the big buses and the 18 wheeler type um, trucks, like the big delivery trucks that we see on the road. And the point I would just make is that the technology isn't there and it probably is not right around the corner um, that, that, you know, we're going to be replacing these bigger trucks with um, EV technology. So again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say well, that we can't. No, I that we can't it's, embrace passenger cars, but I'm just telling you that right now the technology is not there. And the whole Tesla pickup truck is kind of an experiment. I mean, um, again, I wish them the best, but we're not, we're just not there yet. That's the point that we're not there yet. We're, we need to get there. And how are we going to get there? Especially when you have the obstructionist, you know, it, it's been amazing to watch GM do an about face, right? I don't know if you saw the Super Bowl commercial, but they've done a complete about face in just since, literally just since Joe Biden was elected. They used to be a huge obstructionist. They embraced Donald Trump's repeal of all these fuel standards. And now that Biden is in power, all of a sudden it's a completely different tune. They created a massive Super Bowl ad with Will Ferrell talking about how we need to be beating Norway it was, you know, it was kind of a joke, like Norway is beating us in tech, in, in electric cars and we're going to beat them. They have 180 degree turnaround just because of who's in the administration right now. So we need to keep those thumbscrews on. We need to apply that pressure because yes, the technology isn't there yet only because we have been dealing with the hegemony of, of the fossil fuel industry and we need to undermine that. Yeah, but I, th I think, again, the GM thing is complicated. I mean, the, the GM is also banking on a lot of subsidies coming to them. And so I guess that's, that might be a separate discussion about how much, how much we subsidize these things. But it also That's the same discussion. We need to subsidize these things so that we get to this next level of technology. But the other, the other challenge then is, you know, if you have a limited resources of what you're going to subsidize, what we're going to change in our economy to get to a greener future, there is this question of, you know, are you better off trying to move to a more um, green or a more, you know, carbon reduced power grid versus just subsidizing the cars? Because keep in mind that the cars, the cars we're subsidizing right now 
you know, 80% of all these subsidies are going to people who make $100,000 or more. And so it is a very regressive subsidy. And frankly, most of these subsidies are going to be <laughs> pretty regressive. You know, I mean, the more we move to a greener electrical system, you know, is going to be essentially higher costs for fuel, higher costs for utilities. And that is going to hit people on the lower end of the spectrum harder. And I do wonder if the Democrats are just going to embrace that and live with it and propose serious solutions, or are we going to get, you know, four more years of just subsidizing, you know, our favorite corporations, GM gets money, solar companies get money, wind companies get money, but then they never actually address the underlying issue of, you know, you know, truly reducing uh, carbon. It just becomes this sort of scattershot approach to subsidizing different industries. And the EV is just one example of that where you say, okay, EVs aren't bad, and you can make a case for subsidizing them, but at the same time, you have to say, okay, well, what's what's really happening? We're, we're subsidizing wealthier people to buy expensive cars that they may have bought even without the subsidy. And the, the total net reduction in greenhouse gases, at least now and for the foreseeable future, is not that great because a lot of these cars are still being charged by local power plants that are covered, they're, um, they're being uh, fueled by fossil fuels. So that's that's the point. I, I just want to make the larger point so that people understand that, you know, again, your your Tesla still has still you know creating greenhouse gas unless you have solar panels on your house and that's powering everything, which is not really the norm. And then there's a the question of you know is this an important part of how we conquer climate change or are we better off conquering again other parts of the electrical system and other parts of uh, greenhouse gas. Well, it's not really the norm because of the resistance from these entrenched industries. And I, it really depends on how you target subsidies. First off, I would think you would actually like this because in some ways this is sort of a trickle-down economics, right? Like most people who are low income don't purchase new cars. They purchase pre, pre-owned vehicles. And in order for there to be enough pre-owned electric vehicles, we need to have wealthier people or people of some means buy the new cars and then turn them over to buy the next car. So we need to make sure that the next car that a person with means purchases is an electric vehicle. So in some ways, you know, I'm on board with your sort of trickle-down theory of, of economics in, in this case, where we do have to get the people who are purchasing the most vehicles, we have to subsidize so that they will buy the kind of vehicles that then will enter the secondary market and become the norm and become accessible. And also, we need to get these prices down for these vehicles to the point where even you know, hopefully people with lower incomes, when they go to buy their first vehicle, can buy an electric car. So, again, there are some steps back. Like, this isn't a panacea. It's not a cure-all. We expect that this may even raise carbon emissions for a short amount of time. But once you get enough of those electric cars, once we phase out all of the, uh, you know, all, all of the combustion engines, and then obviously we have to target industry. Absolutely, you're right that the commercial vehicles and, you know, even aviation, they need to be moving to this kind of technology as well. And we need to be on the forefront of this. Well... If that happens, that's great. <laughs> but, you know, just color me skeptical. And I think, you know, the reason I like to bring these things up is because I think I touched on this a little while ago with you that, you know, we're, we're not 
we're not making these plans for the future in a vacuum. You know, there's there's a there's a track record to the environmental movement that you know in the 70s and 80s they said don't build nuclear power that's dangerous so let's keep using our coal and gas fire plants and you know we had years of ethanol subsidies where um you know we we were we were subsidizing this biofuel that uh on a net basis is actually worse than just burning the gasoline because so much energy goes into creating the corn and the fuel and then refining it and then you still burn it and then it's actually worse for the environment. So there's been a long list of failures. There are solar power plants out there that have been abandoned. Uh, and, and those are featured in the, the movie I mentioned on, which I think you can still watch on YouTube called Planet of the Humans. There are lots of solar and wind plants that have just been abandoned uh, because they weren't very efficient. But of course, at the time we were told that this was gonna be a great leap forward into the future. Um, and so, you know, you flash forward to today, you look at, a long list of failures. And I'll grant you there have been some successes along the way too, but there have been a great many failures. Um, and even on the car issue, I mean, they've been trying to force um, people to buy more fuel efficient cars forever. But of course, it's, it is the pickup trucks and the SUVs and the bigger cars. Those tend to be more popular. Um, again, Shane and I live in Southern California where everybody wants to drive a Tesla, but <laughs> you know that's not always the norm. There are many parts of the country where you know, everyone wants to drive just the biggest, baddest SUV, the biggest pickup truck they can find. I mean, that is still where a huge part of the market is. And I just don't know that these subsidies are really going to pay off. I feel like we're on the cusp of another, you know, 10, 20 years of, you know, failed ethanol subsidies that never did very much. And in the meantime, we're sort of ignoring the larger problem of, hey, you know, can we take, you know, some of these gas plants offline or should we be embracing nuclear, embracing different technologies, and just being more efficient about how we target these things. Yeah, I guess that's my question to you. First, I did want to clarify something. So I looked this up yesterday. Um, that Plan of the Humans documentary was actually directed by a guy named Jeff Gibbs. And right, it was and, and, and produced by Michael Moore, though. By right? Michael Moore, I guess, yeah. I had thought that it was a Michael Moore uh, film, but he didn't actually create it. He just produced it. That's, that's um, great. And I guess, yeah, you know, my question is then what's your solution? Because it seems like, sure, you have a lot of reasons that you don't think we should be subsidizing electric vehicles based on the fact that it's not economically super feasible right now. What is what is the alternative? So we just continue with dirty technology. We continue with harming the environment. Like, like where does this go? How, how do you see this? Well, so I, I, I guess, guess I'm just I don't hear solutions except for again obstructionism. It sounds like the stance taken by the car manufacturers who are just like, well, you know, this is what's easiest for us to do. It's it's the root of least resistance, and that is not viable anymore. Well, I'll like, give we, you. We, yeah. we know that there's a problem, and we have to solve it. Well, I'll give you sort of the maybe the conservative thesis on this, and this will be an oversimplification. But you know, as as the Wall Street Journal article I just read sort of summarizes you know, the combustion engine is here to stay for a long time. Even if you did convert a lot of passenger cars, you, you have to live in the reality that buses and trucks and airplanes and a lot of other um, vehicles are, are gonna continue to be um, running on fossil fuel. So that's one part of it. And it, it really is kind of a drop in the bucket in terms of total CO2 emissions. So then that, that raises the question, well, what do you do about the rest of the CO2 emissions that you can control? 
And I think that the the more conservative approach to that is number one, you know, embracing natural gas is not so bad because that's been the thing that has really reduced um, carbon emissions over the last few years anyway. And if natural gas isn't good enough, the solution is not necessarily tons of solar and wind projects, which by the way, can be difficult to get approved. They typically meet with a lot of local resistance. You know, windmills kill birds, solar, solar plants take up a lot of land and they have to be positioned outside of um, major cities in some cases. So you're paying more to then transmit the energy back into the city centers. There's all these challenges with solar and wind that if, I guess if you were really worried about the planet, you would embrace nuclear power. And I'm not someone who's just gonna pound the table and tell you nuclear power is great and is perfect. But what I would say is that if you're really worried about the planet, that you're, you're probably better off investing more of your hopes and dreams in nuclear that you are investing it in wind and solar. And I think that, uh, again, you know, th th there's, no, there's, no, there's no sort of blank slate where Biden or Congress can say, go build a thousand solar and wind plants and it'll be done. You know, in the same way that nuclear power sort of died in this country because it, it kept meeting with local and state, you know, regulator resistance. That was, I think, what really sort of killed new nuclear power plants in the USA. Um, one of the reasons solar and wind hasn't caught on is number one, they're more expensive. Number two, um, you know, even in sort of left-wing friendly areas, people will object to windmills, they'll object to solar plants because it takes up a lot of land and there's there's a downside to all this stuff too. It can, if, if, the, if the windmills are up in a hilly area where the wind is, um, it can obstruct the view and people don't wanna look at windmills, they'd rather look at the hills and the mountains. And these are left-wing environmentalists making that case. These are not conservatives necessarily. Um, saying, don't mess up my view, although I'm sure there are conservatives in that mix too. So I think that's, you know, part of the conservative thesis is if you're serious about it, embrace natural gas, embrace nuclear, um, acknowledge the weaknesses of solar and wind, and, you know, also acknowledge that the problem is so big and it is so global that it's not necessarily worth increasing everyone's utility prices to a massive degree when there's no real mechanism to um, get the rest of the globe to go along with that. And that's not to say that we can't lead the way, but if leading the way is just, you know, for the next four years, we're going to write checks to rich people to buy more EVs, that's not a great <laughs> solution. It feels like you have to go bigger. You have to do things that are going to have a, a more scalable and a bigger impact. I understand that you think of that as a practical perspective to me it reads as a defeatist mentality i feel like it's designed to maintain the status quo and i you know i think it not only does a disservice to the environment it underestimates american ingenuity jfk declared we were going to send a guy to the moon and we did it within a decade we didn't have any of that technology ready we literally had to just start from scratch and create it and the government put the money behind it and we put the willpower behind it and we achieved it and it is doing a disservice to not only American ingenuity and the and our abilities, but to our future, because we need to be the pioneers in this to make sure that we are viable and competitive as we go forward. And so, you know, it, it's just a matter of the political will. We just need, we have the money. If we can create all of these trillion dollar bombers and fighter jets with this amazing technology, we can absolutely divert that money into 
into into renewable technologies and we would have viable usable clean energy within a decade but there's just not the political will and it's because of that mentality fair enough i'm also trying to look up the actual um defense budget because i know you keep talking about trillion dollar bombers and i think it's, that's not quite fair just to the <laughs> to the military i think we're i think we're at about one point or no, sorry, the, the defense spending, I think, is $738 billion a year. And not all that's going to bombers. A lot of that's just going to the, the F-35 stealth fighter. Look up the F-35 stealth fighter. Well, no, before, but let's, but let's talk about what the actual... It is <laughs> a $1.5 trillion aircraft. But, but so F-35 what, Lightning II Joint Strike Fighter. By what metric is it $1.5 Yeah, On its projected lifetime cost. F thirty five fighter <laughs> lifetime meaning like meaning what <laughs> is that is that including the fuel cost? So the like, aircraft what, what itself is, is four hundred six billion, and then operating costs, and that's be, and they say that's before they factor in the cost overruns because that's just the estimated, right? But it's never they never get it in on budget. But, right? Yeah, but how many? How many? But yeah, but, but true. It's true they don't they don't they don't get it on budget. But by the way, that's true for every other program yeah, that, that the no, democrats I, cook up to <laughs> so, sure sure but 406 billion just for the aircraft and then that's just right. one of them but and how many aircrafts are we getting for costs but how many actual planes are we getting it's not like we're getting like one airplane we're getting a lot of airplanes for that right no i believe that's that's for one no that's not possible <laughs> i don't know i mean it says uh, or in, unless that's the development cost Either way, I mean, we're talking about $400 billion that could have been put into a, a technology that's not just for bombing people, that is actually trying to help the to help us save lives as opposed to end lives. Yeah, well, see, now, now I'm fixated on this. Now, we may have to do a whole debate on, on the um, F-35, not so much that I disagree with you, just, just what the actual price tag is. <laughs> I mean, the simple fact is that the military is... F- at least 50%, it might even be a little bit more than 50% of discretionary spending. And that is a, a, a huge amount of money that doesn't need, you know, and much of that is, in my opinion, wasted. And we, again, if we can send a man to the moon, we can create these technologies and push them out. We can also regulate. We can make, we can we can use carrots and sticks to force the the industry, the car industry, the airline industry transportation, big trucking, we can incentivize them to move and innovate and move to cleaner technologies. And that's what we should be doing. There's, but there's if, no argument not to do that. All right, but back to the F-35 for a second. Okay, now here's, so here's, here's a different way to think about this. Um, the Top Gun sequel is coming out in a matter of months. <laughs> Isn't it worth spending whatever it takes to inspire a new generation of Tom Cruise wannabes and fighter pilot. Isn't that worth something? It was hard to put a price I, tag on that. You have to admit that now, Shane. I am as big a fan of Maverick and Goose as anyone out there. <laughs> I was, uh, when I was a kid, you know, and that, I mean, yeah, let's make more Hollywood propaganda for the military industrial complex. I'm fine with that. I honestly, <laughs> I don't I don't even have a problem with it. I'll probably see that movie, but I do think that unfortunately, you know, that was that came from an era when we really glorified the idea of military technology and military intervention being, you know, something that we should all aspire to. All right. I found a Reuters article 
on the F-35. It says the most common version of the aircraft will cost $82 million each. And then the price will go down a little bit over time. Eventually, we'll get down to a mere $77.9 million, Shane. Oh, wow. A mere $77.9 million per plane. And so... I just want the audience to understand that, you know, (laughs) I'm sure if if you torture the numbers long enough, you can get to a trillion dollars or more, but. um, Well, the program itself is a $1.5 trillion program. I got to, I got to believe it's, you know, it's, it's worth whatever it takes. I, you you know, (laughs) apparently do believe that. I mean, you know, I have, I have a couple of bridges to sell you. (laughs) You know, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure we're ever going to uh, solve climate change, but I think we could at least create um, a new Top Gun franchise. I think that that might be worth more than, well, more I than, think any, more than that's, anything else that Biden's promising. That's been the American <laughs> priority for sure. Uh, and I believe the Department of Defense budget is, in fact, under a trillion dollars a year. So I know you can always extrapolate these things over a 10 year, 20 year period. But um, anyway. That might be a conversation for a different day. And I may not disagree with you so much on the defense budget. But again, the defense budget is, is such a complicated thing. It's kind of like, it's, it's, it's almost like like debating the size of like the universe of like, <laughs> you know, how do you judge what what we need to spend on on defense? So do you anyway. do you not agree with the idea of setting emission standards or, or at least fuel efficiency standards for vehicles is that something that you're against? i don't i don't know see I, I don't know that that's something that we get a lot of, a lot of bang for our buck on so again see, I, i'm all about efficiency so like if again if the goal is to reduce co2 if the goal is to reduce other pollutants in the air um i'm not opposed to doing that i i just don't know that we have a great success uh in track record with that you know part of how we do this is that we we create these these sort of funny subsidies where we mandate Sort of a general level of um, fuel efficiency, and so what the what the car what the car manufacturers do is they make the big money on um, the trucks and the SUVs that they sell and the other sort of high, higher performing cars, and then they're mandated to to sell a certain number of these electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids. And historically, that's been um, a category that they lose money on. Um, and in some cases, they're not even making enough of them. So what they do is they buy the credits from Tesla and other EV makers to sort of balance out this equation. So I'm not a big fan of, of this sort of government regulation of doing that. I guess what I would say is that if you're serious about reducing carbon, there's a couple of things you can do. You can, you can either have a carbon tax, you could do cap and trade. I don't necessarily endorse those, but if you're serious about it, those are the things that you would do, not necessarily try to micromanage what cars everyone's driving and, you know, sort of artificially prop up the demand for electric vehicles. Um, and I don't disagree that, you know, in the future, I mean, no one can see the future. I mean, Shane made a very convincing case that the future is EVs, <laughs> but, but, but just to fact check that, Shane cannot see into the future 20 or 30 years and see what the demand for automobiles is going to be. So, you know, it's, it's fine to try and regulate CO2 and regulate pollution. I just don't know that managing fuel standards is going to, is historically been the best way to do that. I'm open to other ways of convincing the industry to move forward. 
And you're right, I can't see the future, but I can certainly see the past. I can see that we're not using steam engines anymore because they were outdated technology. And I can see that one technology is better than another, and I can see which direction we're moving. I don't know if you know, GMC is already coming out with the first EV Hummer. It, it's not like we can't have the vehicles that people want and make them electric and make them with new, better technology. So I agree that there is a debate to be had as to which strategies work best, and that I'm always open to you know, if there is a better way to get the industry to do what we need it to do. What I'm not interested in is allowing obstructionism or the status quo, like throwing up our hands and saying, well, there's really nothing we can do. So let's just let these companies make a buck in whatever way is most convenient for them. Because it matters. These things matter. They're, these are things that we need to, you know, especially if you have kids. I mean, God, I don't have any children, so this doesn't matter. By the time, you know, I'm going to be long gone, hopefully, before any of this stuff really comes back to bite us but i care about the future of this country and the world and so we do need to be moving in we need to be moving in the right direction and i'm in favor of whatever gets us there most efficiently and so maybe it's not you know maybe cap and trade and maybe some carrots rather than sticks or sticks rather than carrots six one half a dozen the other whatever works i'm in favor of all right, Shane, I'm going to give you the last word. And I also did look up the defense spending. I was having trouble finding it for 2020 because it's, it's like too recent. But in 2019, defense spending was $716 billion. So just keep that in mind when you're making multi-trillion dollar projections on a single fighter jet. So <laughs> take that with a grain of salt. And I'm open to having a debate about that. And again, the, the libertarian side of me may actually agree with you that um, there, there could be a better way to allocate resources. And again, I, you know, I, I try to make it about efficiency. It's not so much that I have any great devotion to any one cause, but if you can convince me that something is efficient, uh, you can convince me. And I'm, I'm always open to new ideas for sure. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, again, these things are not, these are not the problems of 2019. So I think if we're looking at the spending, we're looking at a $1.5 trillion program for, you know, so it's, you're right, it's not one jet for $1.5 trillion, but that's $1.5 trillion that's being spent on a jet, on a, <laughs> on, on a, a type of jet that we don't need. We don't need them. We, we do need to not destroy the world. And jets help destroy the world. They don't help. <laughs> they don't help to save the world. And you know, it sounds naive or something, but th that's the simple fact: is we have enough jets, but we need to put that money into something that is more valuable and more productive for the future. And so, whether it's 1.5 trillion this year, that's 1.5 trillion that we could move into, you know, over the next 10 years, utilizing newer technologies. All right, I'm going to give Shane the last word. Everyone can do their own homework on <laughs> what we're spending on what. But uh, I, I do take your point about um, some of that spending. So I think we're good for today. And um, as usual, everybody who's listening to this, please subscribe. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think. And we will see you all soon. Thank you.